0: Well, I hate to do this this morning, but I do ask that you join me in a bit of a thought experiment, and I want you to think about that awful, terrible uh, predicament of having to resolve a conflict with someone. Um, I want you to think about those times in life when, when you're having a dispute with someone, you've gotten in some sort of argument. Uh, there are things between you and another and you're faced with that terrible situation where you have to encounter that person and deal with them face-to-face. There, might not, there are a few things in life that are as uncomfortable uh, as those awkward moments when you are face-to-face with someone that you've, uh, that you've had a disagreement with, maybe with someone that you've had a, a, a colored or, or checkered past with. Uh, Someone that you have some sort of open dispute that lies between the two of you, and there you are, face to face, and all those awkward, terrible things begin to happen. I'm sure you are familiar with it, you know, when you face someone, and perhaps one of you pretends like you don't see the other, uh, and you try to avoid making contact. Um, Or perhaps you get in that situation, and one of you starts to overcompensate, and get like way too big with, with your greetings or with being, or with, say, or with saying hello. Uh, perhaps maybe you start talking about things that you've never talked about this person uh, or you talk about with, uh, with this person. You awkwardly avoid all of the problems that lie between you and the other and you, and you speak about everything else that you can possibly imagine. Uh, for some odd reason, in those kind of situations, the weather tends to become something of great interest for everyone. But I, but I think we've all been there, uh, unfortunately, and been in a spot where we've had to resolve some sort of issue, and it, it can be so tough, um, so challenging, and just, just so darn awkward. I mean, only the, the truly in, I don't know, insane or, or sadistic-like to have conflict with people uh, and to have to be face-to-face um, in, the, in those types of situations. Um, and yet, we, have, we all share that experience, and we have a Beatitude today that tells us that people that go into that sort of thing uh, and help resolve problems like that, problems that we've all experienced, that those who actively try to establish and make peace with others, that once again this morning, such people are, are blessed, um, and such people are not only blessed by the Lord, but they also share in a certain promise that we have here of being truly regarded as, as sons of the living God. Now, I know it's, it's, it's funny. I chuckled when Rob was praying because I, I, I agree with your prayer that when we come to worship, we, want, we don't want to dwell on our earthly problems. And yet this morning, as we talk about being peacemakers, we're just going to have to dive into all of those uh, worldly problems, those day-to-day problems, problems both big and small, um, that we're not only called to consider but then to try to make godly resolution about. So here we go. We're going to tackle this thing under three headings uh, regarding Blessed Are the Peacemakers. The first one is this. the uh, Point number one, I want us to talk about blessings from a God of peace. Blessings from a God of peace. I don't think we need to do a lot of work to, to, to explain or to understand that we have a God who declares himself the God of Peace, and that we are reminded in the Scriptures over and over and over that we have that we have a God of Peace. I mean, for example, when you go through many of the New Testament uh, letters and you and you look at the benedictions or the finding or or, or the final emendations, rather, you hear repeatedly uh, blessings upon you as a church from a God of Peace. So, for example, just a few of them, we hear in Romans. Um, Romans fifteen it says that now the God of Peace be with you all, or later in, in 16, it reminds us that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under, under your feet, as he, as he has done with, with Christ. Or maybe in Philippians, we hear that what you have learned, and what you have received, what you have heard from me and seen, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You know that euphemism, or just that, that that description of his name. It is it is a very common one. We have a God, who is a God of of peace, a God of rest. He is a God who establishes, um, who, who establishes uh, peace, well-being, a a kindly disposi- uh, disposition, where all things are set at rights. And for God, in His very person, He is a God at absolute peace, and He is a God. Of peace, and he is a God who also extends peace to his people—a peace that we that we know comes to us um, through the gospel. This is a God who who is, who is so loving and, and is so so concerned with establishing peace uh, with with his people and with humanity. Well, that he sent his Son on our behalf to in order to make a peace. He sent a son to, uh, to enemies who were raging against him to die in their place and to establish a relationship between uh, he and, uh, and such sinners. Uh, and in raising this Christ from the dead, we are told and reminded that we receive uh, peace from God, the peace that he has declared to us through things like, like our faith. So once again, from the book of Romans, we're told in, uh, in chapter 5, that since that we have been justified by faith, meaning we have right standing with God because of, because of faith, the instrument of faith, it says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope and of the glory of God. This idea of having a, a God of peace and, and this God has brought us into a state of peace with him is one of the tremendous blessings and benefits in its own right. And it is something that we um, should pause and should consider and should and should express a little bit of gratitude in its own, once again, in its own right. I mean, in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our God is no longer angry um, or wrathful towards us. As you come here this morning and you and you come expectant in faith um, to uh, to worship the Lord, you come here with no doubt concerning where you stand with him. We should, on on Sundays in particular, but as Christians when we stop to to pray and 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 contemplate, there should be a sense of relief and, and confidence and easiness, peace, that comes along with being a Christian. Now, I know experientially, sometimes that can be, that can be hard, hard to rest in. But it is there and offered and available for us. And that wasn't always the case for other Christians and other people of other, of other faiths as well. And you're you're going to find this open declaration that, that God is at peace with you. He's pleased with you because of his Son. That you have assurance of your standing with him that you have that you can have confidence in your salvation that you can know where you stand well that is a that is a wonderful uh, feature and element of of our of our Protestant faith and and tradition I mean we know just if we do a cursory reading of other religions that that's not the case um, for other other faiths even other other monotheistic faiths that that place faith in a God that can be Capricious and you don't know which way he leans, one way or the other. You try and do your best to please him and maybe he'll, uh, maybe he'll be happy with you and, and you'll have some sense of peace and assurance. Um, but sadly, even in, even in other Christian perspectives, when I, mean, I think about, about Rome mo- most obviously, You know, one of the problems that the, that the medieval Roman church had with the Protestants is that we offered this sense of assurance and peace. Confidence, that we can take any confidence in solace in terms of what God thinks of us and our standing with him. But no, praise be to God that we have a, that we have a gospel which is consistent with God's character um, that reveals to us that as a God of peace, he has made a way to establish peace with us. Uh, and that the first thing that we should do when we hear about a promise or a blessing with this Is reflect on that reality and give thanks and be thankful that our God has gone through great lengths to, to, as it says here, to make peace with us. Um, He has made peace with us. And so, the second thing we want to do, though, as we look at this passage, is move point number two from peace uh, to peacemaking. From peace, go from peace uh, to peacemaking. We have these great blessings in Christ's work of redemption um, demonstrate to us the efforts of God to make and establish peace with us, uh, to do something about, uh, about changing the condition of our, of our standing with him, to move us from a place of enmity, of contention, uh, to move us from being at odds with God to this having a right relationship uh, and right standing with him. Here, we are told that there are blessings for those who emulate God in the act of making and establishing peace. That those who are going to be image bearers like God, those who are going to follow in the footsteps of Christ our Savior, um, that we will be be those who seek to set things right, uh, to make peace, to make an end to enmity and strife and division, that we be those who attempt to mend the things that are broken, um, to reconcile people to another, or you know, one to one to the other. That there are blessings here from a God of peace, uh, to working through those who seek to make peace like like Him. And really, part of being a Christian, uh, part of having our f- faith in Christ, and part of what He Equips us with and what he prepares us with is this task of peacemaking. See, one of these other one of these other benedictions or one of these other commendations that come at the end of the book of Hebrews says this. The author says, May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Peacemaking is one of those various ways, it's one of various ways that, that our God equips us to do what is good and pleasing according to His will. This peacemaking, a part of those good works that He has prepared bef- uh, for us beforehand, to walk in them. And they come once again from a God from a God of peace. Now there are several ways in which this this can manifest for Christians. One of the things that you 'll see if you go and read a lot of um, older literature and I think it's very important to to point out is that a lot of a lot of commentators um, writing on this subject do focus on the role that that Christians can and should play. In, in civil governments, whenever given the chance, whenever you happen to find yourself of self, in an opportunity where you can do that, that there is a good, that there is a common good that, the, that Christians can serve when they participate in government, if they are able uh, to serve this function for society, to be uh, just rulers who can establish uh, a sense of peace in this life. For example, Luther, um, he he says this, that Concerning this, this beatitude, he says that God calls those peacemakers in the first place uh, who help to make peace among the people as, as pious princes, like l- literally princes in his time, counselors or jurists, and persons in authority who hold their governmental position for the sake of peace. And that's really, and that's really important to note, um, that part of the reason, part of the means that, um, that we would, or part of the, the goals that we would have, if given the opportunity to serve in a civil capacity, uh, is, is to take on positions for the sake of peace, as, as Luther says here. That there are, whenever you participate in government, there are obviously limitations, and, and, there, and there are certain things that you, that you can and can't do, but, but you should never be, you know, or you would never find yourself um, hopefully, in a position where, where you aren't able to do this to, uh, to, to promote peace and to establish uh, peace between peoples. And when we think about the various ways in which you can, you can take up authority and use it to, you know, to to establish peace, peace between between contending parties. Well, our natural inclination to extend also to all, of, all ways in which we exercise authority in life. I mean, the very nature of having any sort of authority and being in charge is to establish, you know, common good and the well being and, and to set up the well being for those who are under your charge. It's true in the civil realm, but it doesn't stop there. I mean, a lot of our jobs in our families. Is built around this very idea. I mean, a lot of times we're just playing referee just so that we, could, just so that we can make it sure everything is fair and even uh, and maintain harmony in the home and to prevent discord. The very nature of church discipline isn't so that if someone goes astray, someone is, is, is fallen in sin, um, or, so, or, or people are at odds, it isn't like the goal isn't to just punish those who are. Doing wrong, but but like the main goal is ultimately to restore those who are who are in the wrong, so that we can help uh, Christians do that horrible, awful thing that I described in the, in the beginning, which is which is to resolve conflicts. It's our job, in many ways, is to establish peace. We're concerned with um, with restoration. One of the things that, if you open up our OPCs. Black book that talk about all of the rules that govern that govern how we operate as a church. One of the key phrases that you will stumble upon, and one of the spirit in which we we exercise oversight as leaders is to maintain the peace and the purity of Christ's church. This is a very big concern. No matter who you are in authority, um, being a peacemaker is part is part of the gig. But obviously, in addition to the formal ways in which we are called to be peacemakers in our official capacities, there is this personal aspect of of peacemaking, and it it is what can be so, so, so difficult. I mean, life would be much easier if we didn't have to deal with difficult relationships and and hard things and hard problems. Peacemaking according to the scriptures, is a necessity because the world has fallen. You're not going to encounter any relationship or any person that doesn't have the potential um, to, to have a breakdown in that, in that relationship. And the longer you stay with someone, then the odds increase more and more and more that if you haven't yet, some sort of discord, some sort of problem uh, is, is coming even in the most intimate of relationships i mean even in a in a good godly marriage even if you have a wonderful christian business partner or even if you are in church leadership those things don't come without conflict and the necessity of of peacemaking and and conflict resolution it's just an assumption in this, in this age. And the wonderful thing about this beatitude, though, is that this isn't a blessing that Christ declares upon those who do things perfectly or those who get everything right and those who are so wise and so profound in the way that they navigate the world and interact with others um, that uh, you know, there's no blessing for people like that, those who, are, those who are perfect. No, but there's blessings here for those who are able to forge a peace, to encounter those things, both with others and even, even, even if they're the guilty party and within themselves, and yet can overcome such strife uh, with love and understanding and a willingness and, in, and a, uh, a willingness to, to not let things rest and be left unresolved. And this is, if you haven't gotten there already, this will be a hard thing to come to terms with in your ongoing uh, Christian life. I mean, if you, are una- if you are a person who is unable to, to forgive others, if you're a person who, is, who has a hard time even admitting your own mistakes, this, this life will be hard for you as a Christian. I mean, if you're someone who, who holds grudges and I think all of us are the, are, if not most of us, are people who, who have just a profound discomfort with encountering those that we have problems with. Um, it's a hard thing. It's a very hard thing. Being people who have to both offer and seek forgiveness on a regular basis is, uh, is quite a challenge. And yet The blessing that comes from God and his kingdom today tells us that if we just admit it out front, that life is going to be filled with hurt and misunderstandings, and that even despite what it might cost you personally, that you'll be willing and eager and ready uh, to try and make amends, that there are blessings and and blessings um, declared for you. We are called to live among people, both in the church and outside, who are going to let us down be the case no matter what institution or organization that you open yourself up to to participate in. To be open to another person or to, to people is going to open you up to being wounded by them. And yet to maintain health, God requires us to sometimes loosen our grip on what we might demand from others, what we, what we could expect of others. Um, and even at times to loosen up our grip on on our own pride, um, what we may perceive as our own um, as our own rights and dignity, we have to be willing to make an effort to overlook the wrongs that others do to us, and that's a painful experience. Now, I'm not saying that you're blessed if you, you're blessed if you just become a doormat. I mean, there are situations in which in which you can be abused or be taken advantage of. Um, in the name in the name of well don 't you owe me forgiveness and i 'm not saying that if you are in in really bad circumstances that you are required to stay there, so if you are in a terrible work environment and filled with anxiety that you are forced to stay um, and yet you know we would I would hope that we would use all the means available uh, or that we would avail ourselves to all the means available to uh, to rightly get out of, of, of horrific situations, and to um, so I'm not saying stay, and yet at the same time, the Lord and His providence for for seasons and at times has us where we are, um, and while we seek to you know to find better situations or to or, or you know, s- such as uh, better employment, when we look um, at the great cost that it caused or that it caused uh, to God. To establish peace with us, we have to acknowledge that peacemaking will not be pain-free. It never is. We must strive for it um, because we belong to Christ. He set forth this example, and he's adopted us as, as his children, as sons, to follow um, in his footsteps and to obey and to live according to his ethic. So the last thing that I want us to see here from this passage is point number three, peace, I'm sorry, peacemaking fit for the sons of God. Peacemaking fit for the sons of God. This beatitude rests on this reality, um, this this, this bedrock principle of adoption and our status as sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We both shall be called sons of God in the future, and we are sons of God now in the present. This is both a promise that is held out for us and will be revealed in its fullest sense in the future, but it is also true in reality very much now, and that forms the basis of, of, our, of our ability and our, and our call to be peacemakers with, with others. There's a great parallel passage to this in, in 1 John. This is 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, it sa- uh, he says in, first, in verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called sons of God or children of God. And so we are. So we are. We are sons of God. And the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. See, we are God's children now, and even being his child, though, even though we are now, um, it isn't fully revealed to us until until the, the age that is to come what what that will fully look like. But even now, we know we are sons of God um, because of God's love, and that will make us look different. The world will not know us uh, because of it. And that being the case, um, throughout the scriptures, this, this idea that we are God's children now uh, and in the future is coupled with this idea that God's children in the world, uh, in the world are always characterized by this idea of being people of peace. Children of peace. That even as we set to set to uh, to make things right, and even as we as we take up the cause of justice and try to mediate peace, at the end of the day, we know that that all true vengeance and justice belong belong to the Lord, and it's because we are His children. that at times, even when we're trying to um, um, trying to defend someone, or we're trying to, uh, or we have to consider claims against someone, and we have to get in get involved in the messy business of mediating relationships, even then for us, um, we have to strive to to establish some sort of peace, even if someone isn't in this age punished to the fullest extent, or um, we, have to, we have to make sure that we leave room for God to be the judge, and that, and that, and that at the end, even if we are utterly lied to, deceived, um, and unfortunately at times even, even manipulated, we have to let justice belong to the Lord because He is our Father, um, and we are called to be those who strive and make peace. We can't... And sometimes that's tough. We can't jump at every accusation that's made we have to be people who uh, who weigh matters carefully uh, who presume um, if not innocence at least don't condemn judgment until we hear all the facts and that can be hard to do particularly today when being guilty in the court of public opinion or having the first person uh, make a case is often what most people want to take up and believe and defend and uh, and hear their side, but no, uh, we are God's uh, children, and we ought to move forth in a way that is that is fitting. And throughout the scriptures, once again, God's children um, are people of of peace. Part of the part of the goal of being a child of God is to live and to dwell with Him in peace, or you know that um, that Hebrew idea of. Of shalom. We want to be at, at peace and at rest, dwelling with God as his sons and as his children. One great example of that was what we read in 1 in Chronicles. As you go through that brief reading, just to recap, I mean, David reflects on this time when he wanted to build the temple of, of God, he wanted to establish a permanent house for his God. But God revealed to him that it wasn't, it wasn't fitting for David to be the man to build to build that house because David was not a man of peace. He was not a man of rest. He had too much, too much blood on his hands. He fought too many wars. It wasn't fitting for, for him to build God's house. But God promises that his son would establish his house, that his son uh, would build that house. He says, Behold, a son shall be born to you, David, um, and he shall be a man of rest. And I'm going to give him rest from all his surrounding enemies. For his name shall be uh, Solomon. Now, our English uh, Bibles doesn't really bring out the full flavor of that. I mean, um, the 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 name Solomon, in the Hebrew, it is a cognate of that, of that same word sh- uh, shalom. If you want like a like a direct transliteration of, of Solomon, his name is pronounced Shlomo, and you can understand why they went with Solomon instead. <laughs> but you know, Shalom is is peace. Solomon is is Shlomo. Just change a little. Just change some of the uh, uh, some of the verbs. His name means peace. So God is saying that you're going to have a son, and he even goes so far in the next verses to say that he shall be my son, this is what God says, and I will be his father. And I'm going to establish his royal line in Israel forever. This son who I call, who I call peace, who I've given the unfortunate name of Shlomo to, I will be his father. He's going to be my son. God's son will be, a, in, this, in this passage, a prince of peace. And that idea of God's Son being a Prince of Peace, being, a, being royalty, but royalty who will establish peace, um, is true of Solomon, and obviously it's true of Christ, um, most clearly, but it's also true of us, of you. All your pursuits to live with God in holiness and in righteousness must be pers- uh, pursued and sought in the spirit of peace, um, because that is the quality that God's Son is to embody. It's a great warning, therefore, here that you are not to, uh, um, you know, that there's, a, there's a warning here against sinful desires that would work against the establishment of, of peace in your heart, uh, in, any, in, a, in any community that you find yourself in, and in the church. We have to weed out those impulses that see the worst in people, that, that seek to, to speak ill at every turn, and that would be barriers to, to peace. So Luther once again says that there is, this, there is this naturally sticking to us, the shameful, devilish filth that everyone likes to hear and tell the worst about his neighbor, and it's tickled if he sees a fault in someone else. If a woman were as beautiful as the sun and had any mark or little spot upon her body, one should forget everything else and look only for the spot and talk about that there 's a danger um, to having that sort of attitude of finding being quick to find faults um, I know because that's my, my disposition is 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 particularly critical uh, when I evaluate things. my first reaction typically is to go that way, so i know this I know this problem well you know connecting this idea of of peace being necessary for right for like a righteous life and you really if you're not if if you're not seeking to, to make peace establish peace if you're not someone who is characterized by this idea that it will that that it's hard to order your life well james james repeats the same idea it says uh, in james chapter 3 james writes if you have a bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false to the truth uh, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above but it is earthly unspiritual and it's demonic For where jealousy and and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every uh, vile practice. But the counter to these things, the truly wise, um, is the wisdom of the peacemaker. He goes on to say in verse 17, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If you heard this morning and you have a a true heart to to pursue righteousness, a zeal, a a, a hunger and thirst for righteousness, well, it has to be sown in peace, according to the Scripture. And only those who are seeking to make peace can reap a harvest of righteousness. Peace um it's something that is not a given or um it, it's not a given in a fallen world and this is where we as citizens of his kingdom are so can be so countercultural but establishing peace must be pursued and peace must must be made and forged um it's you're not going to fall into into establishing peace or resolving a, a conflict on accident um you won't wake up and uh, and everything that was wrong with that brother or sister is just, is just made right. Um, Peace is an effort uh, that has to be pursued, even, even though it may come along with a set of, of discomfort and struggle. But once again, part of the reason why this is so important for us returns to that analogy of authority and the family. Because how do we handle a set of misbehaving children in our homes, in the homes that we have authority over, well, we, we tend to to hope that they would sort it out themselves, or sit them down, uh, make them apologize, shake hands and make or hug and make up, shake hands and make up. Um, and so God does and seeks that we would be that we behave that way as His children. Um, and if our elder brother, His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, hasn't held. Our offenses and sins against him, we should get busy with the, um, with the business of establishing peace and forgiving one another. And furthermore, let that also prepare us to share this kind of love and extend it outside of the walls of our families and, and of the church. Maybe we find this task, even in the moment it's hard, but we find this task filled with blessings and promises, um, and not grief. And as we go forth as God's son, as his children, um, that we hope in the full revelation of what that means for us as we continue to share in every spiritual blessing of of Christ our Savior, Um, going out in the world, making peace as far as we can, um, knowing that in a much more profound way he has made peace with us, and though he was called to uh, to bear uh, or to bear the wrath of God to establish at uh, to establish peace with us, may we likewise take up our cross to bear what may come, in order to make peace uh, with others. Let's pray.